Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is finally here. I can feel the change in the way right now. Nothing's in my way. This is Dr. Jess Armline coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania, finding answers through genetics and integrative medicine. How's everybody doing tonight? It's been a long, long week, and I'm glad that you're all here again because I have a special show for you tonight. You know, last week, didn't really have anybody scheduled for this week, and as the week went on, we were getting busy, Sean and I, and uh, we really didn't think too much about the podcast and said, <laughs> except to get towards the end of the week, and I said, gee, we don't have a podcast for Monday, and I definitely want to do a podcast. So I started looking through my old subjects, okay, and I ran into the addictions um, lecture that I did a while back, and I looked at the numbers, and over 3,000 people had listened to it. I was uh, pretty amazed. I said, she must be a subject that everybody wants to hear about. So I was going to just copy that and replay it, but guess what? I went through it, and I decided that I'm going to um, go through it again, and I'm going to go through it in um, uh, giving you different explanations and so forth. So if you haven't gotten the PDF for the uh, podcast, it's on uh, my blog page, Dr. Jess Online, the blog page for the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine, and the Bioindividualized Medicine um, blog page itself over on Facebook. Uh, it's also on the chat room. I just posted it, so I'll give everybody about a minute to uh, to get their hands on the PDF. And uh, I do want to make uh, one announcement. Um, I'm going to be talking about addictions tonight, but I'm going to be talking mostly about the physiologic portion of addictions, okay? I am a great supporter of 12-step programs and other forms of counseling. Uh, the What I'm talking about is not in conflict with them in the least. And what I did notice, what I have noticed is that the physiological portion of addictions has gotten the short shrift over the past uh, several years in favor of the psychological treatment. And um, I'll explain to you in a little while through and how what I know and what has been taught to me can add to the whole recovery process. But I'm going to let everybody know who's listening that I do treat addicts and I and the requirement in my office, okay, 
is that you must be in recovery. Whatever form it happens to be, you must be in recovery because I can only handle the physiologic portion, not the psychological portion. And if you want to get rid of the jonesing, if you want to get control over the cravings, that usually causes relapse. This is what we're talking about tonight, okay? So hopefully everybody's got the uh, PDF, so I will forge on. Um, let's talk about what an, an addiction is, a classical definition, okay? Addiction is defined as a by a compulsive engagement and naturally rewarding... One more time. <laughs> Speaking the English language, I know. Addiction is a state defined by compulsive engagement and naturally rewarding behavior or compulsive drug use despite adverse consequences. It can be thought of as a disease or a biological process leading to such behaviors. That's out of Wikipedia. The key phrase here is compulsive engagement and naturally rewarding behavior despite adverse consequences. Okay. Everybody likes reward. We all, you know, anybody who's uh, consulted with me or listened to me talk about uh, neurotransmitters, I'm always talking about the uh, dopamine um, neurotransmitter as it being a funny neurotransmitter. Not funny haha, but funny strange. When it's, because when it's very, very low, it can give you a kind of depression called anhedonia, which is a, very, it's a lack of joy. It's a very horribly low depression. And when it's very high, it can give you paranoia or hallucinations. But... It is the neurotransmitter of satiety or reward. So when we have, um, you know, when we have a nice dinner and we sit back and we go, oh, that's dopamine. Okay, I know it's growing, you know, the food hits the belly, growing goes up the, the brain, the brain releases dopamine, dopamine goes to the receptors, and we get that feeling of satiety. Okay, um, you ladies who uh, like to shop, okay, you go to a whatever store and there's three or four items left of a, of a, object that 50 or 60 ladies want, <clears throat> you start heading towards it and, you know, you start leaving dead bodies, you know, in your wake. Okay. You grab one of the objects that you, of your desire that you pay for it. And when you have that big old smile on your face, walking to the car, that's dopamine. Okay. That's the reward. But anybody who engages in compulsive or addictive behavior, um, despite the fact that that behavior may be adverse or give them adverse consequences <clears throat> is considered addictive. That's considered addictive behavior or compulsive behavior. Um, and the question is, is addiction, is addiction just a behavioral issue? Okay. And in the words of the late John Panette, the comedian, oh, nay, nay. Uh, there is a syndrome that was defined in 1996 by Kenneth Blum, PhD, called reward deficiency syndrome. Uh, let me backtrack just a little bit. Kenneth Blum, Ph.D., uh, is an early researcher in nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics. He's one of the first people to um, recognize this as, as an issue. And he is the co-discoverer of a DRD2 gene, which I'll be getting to in a few minutes. And his work gave a new way to look at all, to, all addictive, obsessive, and compulsive behaviors, including substance and process addictions, personality, and spectrum disorders. So guess what? This issue has wide-ranging implications. <clears throat> As a result of Dr. Blum's work, the American Society of Addiction Medicine on August 15, 2011, released a definition of addiction highlighting that addiction is a chronic brain disorder and not simply a behavioral problem involving too much alcohol, drugs, gambling, or sex, and that you can see right on their website. And they're the first 
organization that is heavily involved in addictions that will that did in fact recognize heavily the physiologic portion and as we know that you know we have genetic predisposition it doesn't always express okay but the more predisposition you have the more behavioral cues that you have the easier it is to go down that road so knowing that um gives you a pathway of healing also okay the next page you're going to see dopamine itself dopamine uh this is a picture of a dopamine crystal okay this is taken from neurogenetics and nutrigenomics of reward deficiency syndrome and risk of excessive reward-seeking behaviors from Kenneth Blum, Ph.D. And that's the first and last time I'm going to say that, but it's, it's on here. Okay? Again, dopamine equals reward satisfaction. Adequate dopamine function, adequate dopaminergic function improves energy, creates feelings of pleasure, satisfaction, satiety, motivation, happiness, and more. Dopamine resistance causes an increased need for pleasure, the pleasure-satisfying dopamine fix. Sometimes you see somebody with a very, very high dopamine, and the question is, are they producing it because something's stimulating to them to produce it, or are their receptors just simply not working or they don't have enough receptors in order to get the reward that they're looking for? Okay, sometimes the dopamine fix is pursued by eating sugary or fatty foods, overeating, drinking, drugs, gambling, sex, internet ga- gaming, thrill-seeking behaviors, all excessive reward-seeking behaviors, and that's why it is called, when you have this problem, reward deficiency syndrome. The genetic polymorphism that causes lower dopamine function is the DRD2 gene, which is located on chromosome number 11, and this can have a polymorphism, and Dr. Blum called it an A1 allele. Before there were SNPs, before there were polymorphisms, uh, geneticists used to talk about alleles, okay, which would have been at least homozygous or heterozygous, okay? So if the DRD2 gene is homozygous or heterozygous, it indicates that there's at least one-third lower D2 amount of D2 receptors in the brain and the uh, picture you see on the one side where there, where it's normal and dopamine is being produced by, and you're seeing dopamine fit in the receptors whereas on the right hand picture with the polymorphism there's simply not enough dopamine receptors and we're talking about the D2 receptor there is D1, D2, D3 and D4 but specifically we'll talk about the D2 receptor because that has the most to do with this issue. By the way <clears throat> presently the only application out there that will clearly show you all the DRD, DRD1, 2, 3, and 4 receptors is Sterling's new app at mthfrsupport.com. Her version 2 app, under the neurotransmitter section, you're going to see all portions of the neurotransmitter pathways plus all the DR, DRD2, DRD1, DRD3, DRD4. So, um, that's one thing that's really, really good in that particular application. It makes it worth the price uh, to get it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> one more time. I'm trying to talk too fast. Hypodopaminergic function impairs reward-dependent behaviors. In other words, less function of the dopamine system, whether we're talking about not producing enough dopamine or not enough receptors or receptor resistance. This can equal inability to cope with stress, Increased carbohydrate cravings, 
increased selection of fatty foods, reduction of energy expenditure, increasing blood pressure, increasing body fat, higher body mass index after that, blunted reward response to pleasurable experiences, intensified binging behavior, addictive behaviors, impulsive behaviors, compulsive behaviors, personality disorders, poor executive function, and reduced global cognition. You see, it's not just, you know, a matter of somebody drinks too much or somebody eats too much or somebody engages in uh, reward behaviors too frequently. This has its roots in many, many different areas in the psyche. On the next page is a, which I think is page eight, is a grid of reward deficiency syndrome and the function of the DRD2 gene. And you can see under addictive behaviors, there's severe alcoholism, polysubstance abuse, smoking, obesity. Under impulsive behavior, ADD, ADHD, tics and uh, Tourette syndrome, autism, <clears throat> compulsive behavior, aberrant sexual behavior, internet gaming, pathological gambling, obsessive compulsive disorder. Under personality disorders, they have conduct disorders, antisocial personalities, aggressive behavior. So there's a lot of stuff going on with the dopamine uh, receptors and uh, the function of dopamine in the brain. How prevalent is this particular polymorphism? I'm forever asked about that with MTHFR, so <laughs> let's get away from MTHFR for the moment. Uh, overall, 33% carry the DRD2 um, polymorphism. And uh, the, it's generally accepted about that at least one-third of our country <clears throat> has this particular uh, polymorphism, but 50% of the African-Americans have this, 58% of the Hispanics, 72% of the Asians, and 85% of the Native Americans. The reason for the 33% of Caucasians is due to our mixed European heritage. Um, certain groups have very, very low incidences, and some groups have high. They average out to about 30 to 33%. And as you can see, it's fairly prevalent. The problem. The greatest challenge in the recovery of all addictions is relapse. The propensity towards relapse has psychological and spiritual and biochemical etiologies. In other words, <clears throat> the propensity towards a person failing at their program, failing at their recovery, is not just weakness of stock or laziness. There is a combination of psychological, spiritual, and what has heretofore been ignored, biochemical causations. To date, the vast majority of the treatment afforded the addict has been leaning towards what? The psychological, okay, where somebody will be put into a um, 28-day program or a 30-day program, and in those programs, they're going to meetings twice a day, they're getting individual counseling, they're getting group counseling, okay, they may go through some detoxification at the very beginning, depending on their uh, substance du jour, but uh, quite frankly, it is mostly treated on a psychological basis, any chemical basis has been suboptimal, okay, and let me um, take my chances, as I usually do, and tell you what I mean by that, okay, uh, let's talk about um, recovery from opiates, okay, way, way, way back when, way back, going into um, the latter part of the 19th century, morphine, morphia was uh, pretty big out there, as, as was cocaine, <clears throat> when World War One came by, if you could excuse me a moment so I can clear my throat. 
This is what I get for um, drinking too much tea before the show. Uh, when World War II came around, I'm sorry, World War One came around, morphia or morphine became the drug of choice for uh, battle wounds, and people became addicted to it. And that seems to make sense to everybody. And guess what they used to get people off morphine? I don't hear anybody answering, so I'll tell you. Uh, heroin, believe it or not. I know heroin looks like this horrible thing, but look at the word, heroin. It's the word hero, the female hero, the heroin. Okay, and that was created to get people off morphine. We all know what kind of disaster that was. So what was created to get people off heroin, if anybody remembers? That's right, methadone. Okay? Trading one thing for another, and they used to have methadone clinics, especially after uh, the, um, sorry, uh, the Vietnam War. Okay? And, of course, the addicts were only treated with that substance instead of, you know, treated holistically, if you will, and I don't mean holistically by the you know nutrients and so forth. I mean by you know several types of professionals. And what would happen is they would go out, they would use the methadone with, with other drugs, and continue their addiction. And to get people off methadone, um, and now oxycontin and and so forth, uh, we have suboxone. Suboxone is nothing but oxycontin, which is oxycodone, that is in a time-released form that an addict will chew. Uh, so they get you know immediate release, and it's mi- and mixed into it is Narcan or Naloxone, which is a narcotic antagonist. So if the addict chews on this pill, they will release the narcotic antagonist, which would put them into an immediate withdrawal. Frankly, um, it doesn't work to cure the addictions. Uh, it can be used term to help people come down, but but like anything else, unless you treat something holistically. Okay, and attend to all factors. Um, guess what? People are not going to get better, and addictions are a big problem in almost every family. I don't know anyone who doesn't know someone um, or have a family member who's been deep into addiction, and we're talking all different kinds of addictions. Okay, I've lost, um, I lost my nephew uh, to his addiction, uh, and there was nothing worse for me. I've been watching my sons who are, who are grown, but they're still my boys, you know, carrying his casket and, and putting it into the hearse on because they were his pallbearers. And um, there was nothing. I, I don't think I stopped crying that entire day because uh, I get to see one of my children being in there. And there have been others. Okay, remember, I used to be an ER nurse, so um, this um, is not unknown to me. Okay, so the problem is relapse, all right? There are several factors that are known into something called the build-up to relapse of the BUR, and they're stress, depression, anger, anxiety, and cravings. Uh, the challenge is can we get the D2 receptor deficit normalized with a natural D2 antagonist and activate the dopaminergic reward pathway? In other words, treat the cravings. Can we treat anger, anxiety, and depression, i.e. neurotransmitter imbalances, neuroendoimmunology, treating root causes and downstream effects. Can we, stre- can we treat stress, combined psychological and physiological considerations? And frankly, based on what we've been talking about over the past couple of years on our podcasts, I would say, you think? Okay, you think it's possible? I think so. So anyway, here's some studies for you. Okay, this was a study done by Dr. Blum on, from a 10-month outpatient recovery program 
for uh, DUI offenders. They were forced to go to this program. The, um, this is the build-up to relapse score, the stress depression thing I just told you about. And with a substance that was called KB220Z, which is a nutraceutical uh, neuroadaptogen, which is presently marketed as synaptogenics, um, they would give um, these people that substance, okay, which is a vitamin essentially, okay, and the scores you're seeing are well healed in signs. You see the green is without the KB220Z, and the yellow is with it, and the scores are much, 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 much less with the nutraceutical. Okay, and uh, there's more studies I'm going to show you. Uh, this is patented. This also included functional MRI, QEEG, brain mapping, and other clinical evidence. But I'm going to show you some of the stuff that um, just to point out that this can be handled. The physiologic portion of this can be handled. On page 14 is, a, is an interesting couple of studies. These two studies were done 17 years apart by Brown and Chen. You see it on the bottom there. Okay, the one study, I know they're small studies, but the um, but the point is uh, still well taken. On the left-hand side, you see cocaine, the dark purple. Uh, the relapse rate is well above 80%, 87%, but with the synaptogenics of the neuroadaptogenic amino acid therapy, it was down at 33%. And for alcohol, um, it was about 53%, about 50%, and with the um, with the neurodiagnostic substance, it was at 13% the relapse rate. 17 years later, they did another study, and you'll notice that the alcohol was at about the same rate, around 50%, and with the synthetics, it went down to roughly the same rate, 7%. And heroin has a much higher relapse rate, over 70%, and with this admittedly small study. With the use of the uh, particular substance, it went down to zero. Now, why am I, you know, pointing this out? Not because I want to sell synaptogenics. I want to, I want to point out that there, this particular substance, they did studies and they were able to change the function of the brain and the function of the D2 receptors, whether they were creating more D2 receptors, which is possible, and I've, I've cross-checked that with other neurophysiologists and then PhDs in pharmacology, or were they improving dopaminergic receptor function? Frankly, it doesn't make a difference, okay, as long as you're getting it to work. And the studies that I read, and I'm only giving you a smattering of them, says that it is possible, okay? And it is not only possible, it's probable, because even if you're not using this substance, it is a possibility that you can get rid of the jonesing. You can get rid of the cravings. You can get rid of one of the major reasons for relapse, okay? The other things that lead to relapse, anxiety, anger, depression, okay, are caused by numerous things, okay? If you look at page 15, low thyroid, uh, vitamin deficiency, heavy metal toxicity, undermethylation or transmitter deficiencies, low sh blood sugar, digestive problems, receptor imbalance, neurotransmitter imbalances, essential fatty acid deficiencies, and let's not forget the old standbys, viruses, bacteria, yeast, parasites, Lyme, motor immune diseases, and immune dysregulation. What have we been talking about since day one? Okay, how chronic illnesses can come in and take root. Okay, and here it is applied to addictions because addiction is a chronic illness. Okay, and unfortunately, addictions has a very bad stigma attached to it, and we tend to look at addicts as being lower people. You know, you have the picture of the, the, the bum on, 
Skid Row or um, and the Bowery if you were in New York. And that's the least the least of it. You know, if you go to any recovery meetings, twelve um, step meetings, you're going to find your neighbors. Okay, you're going to find your friends. You may find your family. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Okay, moods are expression of the neurotransmitters imbalances in your brain. Okay, and you'll notice that the major guys um, here are norepinephrine, serotonin, and dopamine. This is a nice little Venn diagram. shows you the interaction between those neurotransmitters and whether you're talking about anxiety, impulse, irritability, mood, cognitive function, um, aggression, so forth and so on. And I think we've uh, kind of beaten a dead horse over the t- over the years saying that I think you know that neurotransmitter imbalances can have innumerable expressions, okay? Uh, this is the problem with taking quote-unquote antidepressants. You know, they raise serotonin by interfering with some of the reuptake, but that presumes that the serotonin is what's causing the expression of depression, okay? It can cause a whole mess of different things, and I'm not going to uh, bend your ear tonight. Well, I might bend your ear because it's only 825. You know, I hope somebody's laughing out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, you know me to be a... Um, a prudent man in these in these issues, okay? And I've seen a whole mess of different expressions with the same type of pattern, same thing genetically. You know, you look at a methylation pathway and you say, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to use methyl B12 with that person. Yet they've been taking methyl B12 and they feel just fine. Same pattern in another person. They try one pill of methyl B12 and the back of their head blows off. Okay, so just remember, these are pointers. These are biomarkers, okay? It takes a... Um, it takes a good clinician and somebody who's willing to sit down and take a history and look at the person individually, okay, before you can get, you know, proper um, traction on either neurotransmitters or, or the genetics or anything else. And just for fun, I put in serotonin, the dopamine, the happiness tour, okay? I found this on the Internet. I thought it was hilarious, okay, because the um, little guys playing there are playing with the molecules that are, in fact, serotonin and dopamine. Okay, that's the really funny thing for me. But anyway, it is true that serotonin and the dopamine kind of determine whether you get it, whether you're happy or not. Okay, uh, let's not forget that leaky gut syndrome, and I'm, I'm forever yelling leaky gut. You're hearing about it all the time. You know, you're probably tired of me saying the word, but this is what creates inflammation. Okay, when you breach the gut barrier, you're going to start getting food allergies and tolerances. You're going to start getting upregulation of the immune system. You're going to start getting neurotransmitter imbalances. You're going to start getting inflammation. You're going to start getting expression of genetic predisposition. Eventually, you're going to start getting into autoimmunity, and after that, you're going to start getting into dysautonomia. Also, if the gut barrier is breached, the fact is that the blood-brain barrier is going to be breached, okay, and the mitochondria are going to be leaking. And Sean posted over this weekend uh, an interesting um, uh, an interesting uh, statement that, you know, the freaks come out at night. Uh, well, I live in Philadelphia, so that, that's kind of a given. But anyway, um, during the full moon, okay, if you start getting worse, okay, the parasites are actually active. Don't ask me why they do that. I don't know why, how they feel the, the phases of the moon. But people who um, get worse, you know, cyclically around the moon, new moon, um, full moon, and so forth, that's kind of pathognomonic of parasites, okay? They get stimulated like that, okay? But sometimes you have parasites and that doesn't happen. It's only when 
the gut gets to a certain point and you have a certain level of inflammation that you begin to see and feel what the phases of the moon are doing. So I had that exact case today. I was mentoring with another doctor and I was listening to a case that he was doing and this individual had more symptoms over this past weekend and only recently was it that kind of cyclical. And frankly, that was my tip-off to say, that's parasites. And they asked, well, why didn't it happen before? I said, well, you just didn't have enough inflammation before for you to notice it, okay? But it shouldn't happen cyclically like that. So that was the one thing also that wasn't ever checked and wasn't it. And now I think we have a, a way of healing this nice lady. Okay, understanding that there is a relationship between the adrenal axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis, and the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian or testicular axis, so that you need to know that the thyroids, the adrenals, and the, and the sex hormones are all connected and all balance one another out, okay? And it is one of the things that when you get discombobulated, uh, can cause a lot of stressors, and that can imbalance your system, and guess what? Okay, if you have addictions, this is one of those things that's going to prevent you from recovering and cause relapse. So, logically, and I won't tell you my logic joke because uh, I don't want to get in trouble for being, you know, uh, anyway. So, uh, logic. If we accept that addictions are a combination of the psychological and physiological and ignore the argument of which came first, because they're both here now. It says the usual argument, which came first. It doesn't matter. They're both here now. If we accept the fact that there's excellent psychological support for the addicted person, and that the physiological aspects of addiction have been basically treated suboptimally, and if we accept that there is significant but not irreparable damage to the body, and that the root causes and downstream effects of the damage can be treated with a combination of nutri nutritional, nutrigenomic, neuroadaptogenic uh, amino acid therapy, targeted amino acid therapy, and the like, then can the addicted person be cured? Can the addictive propensity that is so prevalent be ameliorated? Well, at least we can improve the conditions greatly at the best, so I say yes. Can you cure an addict by throwing a nutraceutical at them? No. Can you cure an addict by just being in a 12-step program no. Yes and no. You can control it. It's like migraines. You know, no one can cure a migraine. You can treat it, but you can't cure it. But if you control all the triggers, you can control you can effectively cure the migraine. You can go and attend to the whole psychological portion, but if you do both, you can stay in your recovery, you can stay sober, you can stay without white knuckling. Okay, a whole lot easier than if you have to drag your way through each day, you know, fighting your own cravings, which doesn't have to be. So anyway, factors in recovery, self-confidence through increasing length of sobriety and lack of craving, energy levels via balancing neurotransmitters, normalizing gut function because of better absorption of nutrients and adrenal function, restraint from lack of craving, I don't know if I said that right, and thereby better participation in recovery efforts. I think I meant to say uh, restraint, okay, because you're not having so much craving and thereby you can attend to recovery better. 
and the feeling of well-being from being successful. Uh, what we do here at the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine is take, as you know, take genetics and integrated medicine to a new level because we combine the knowledge of the neuroendoimmunology, epigenetics, nutrigenomics, mitochondrial dysfunction, cell wall integrity, and we put it all together and develop individualized treatment plans that identify and treat not only the root causes but the downstream effects, and that is we fix whatever the primary causative factors did to the body and whatever those uh, causative factors um, cause downstream. And, of course, when you're into drugs, depending on it, it actually magnifies things, but um, believe it or not, it is fixable, okay? So our treatment is ameliorating the biochemical malfunctions to build up to relapse that create a build-up to relapse utilizing history and appropriate testing. Uh, we develop individualized treatment plans. Like I said, we, we do use intravenous nutritional therapy, and that has a high degree of success. We use targeted immunoassay therapy, neuroadaptive, neuroadaptive uh, or adaptogenic immunoassay therapy, uh, neurotransmitter balancing, uh, gut repair, and we do a whole, whole lot more. And remember, people, when you call me up and say what protocol you use, I use, rather, you're going to get the same phrase. Protocol is a four-letter word in my office. We practice individualized medicine, and that's true. No one gets the same exact treatment plan. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, uh, and I, at uh, bioindividualmed.gmail.com. Uh, there's a contact form at our website, uh, methylationsupport.com, and our phone number is 610-449-9716. Uh, Sean Bean and I are uh, actually zipping together and practicing more together. We have, um, we've actually signed a partnership agreement, and the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine is a real entity. Okay. <laughs> and to that end, on the last slide, I have an announcement. Okay, drum roll. Okay, the Neuroscience Corporation and the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine in Philadelphia is giving a seminar for healthcare providers on Saturday, May 30th. Okay, it's called Clinical Applications of Nutrigenomics and Neuroendoimmunology, Connecting the Dots. Okay, it'll be a full-day seminar, and it's given by Sean and I, and the healthcare provider will be able to, at the end of this, dynamically evaluate neuroscience testing data and root cause analysis, properly, properly apply nutrigenomics and methylation to improve clinical outcomes, understand and engage in foundational treatment, which is the missing link in healing, and learn how to bring neurotransmitters and functional genetics into their practice. This particular seminar will be held at the Hyatt House in Philadelphia, which is in Plymouth Meeting. And for full information, uh, your provider should go to methylationsupport.com and click Clinical Applications of Nutrigenomics in NEI, and all the information will be there. And they should do it quickly because we have limited seating, and um, it's filling up awful, awful fast because people want to learn this really, really well. Okay, so I have um, done my lecture, and if you'd like to call in and ask questions, uh, I'm at 646-595-2277. At 646-595-2277. If you're in the chat room, please go ahead and type in a question. I'll answer it immediately. Okay, I know I, did, I gave a scathing overview of addictions and their physiologic um, construct, and 
I'm sure there's questions out there, and they can be pretty practical questions. Please understand that I cannot treat you over the uh, radio, but I can ask, I can answer general questions. So I see a whole messy out there in the um, chat room, and unless I've put you to sleep, please uh, give me a call and ask a question. I'll, I'll feel a lot, I'll feel a lot better about sitting here. <laughs> I think one of the, um, while we're waiting for people to call, I think one of the things that people don't realize is that um, the whole addictive behavior, the whole dopaminergic system has contribution in a lot of areas of uh, neuropsychiatric disease, okay? Um, and it isn't just addictions. Um, it has to do with, uh, you know, the inability to... Uh, metabolize uh, certain neurotransmitters it has the it has to do with the inability to um, handle certain emotions that are downstream of neurotransmitter imbalances and uh, one of the things that we're going to be teaching in our seminars for the healthcare providers is to how to read a neurotransmitter test not statically but dynamically and what that means is that if you give me a neurotransmitter test, I'll look at it and smile at you and then take a history. Okay, at the end of the history, I'll tell you why those neurotransmitters are that way, which way they're heading, okay, which is going to give me a big indicator of how I should treat you and get you better very, very quickly, okay? Um, I have a lot of nicknames, some of them not so complimentary, but one of my nicknames is the neurotransmitter whisperer. Okay, and as funny as that sounds, that was given to me by one of my patients a couple of years ago when I looked at her neurotransmitter test after taking a history, and I, I told her her entire life story, and she looked at me and said, I know who you are. I said, who? She said, you're the neurotransmitter whisperer, and the name stuck, okay? And um, what I realized is that most, most doctors are used to thinking algorithmically, in other words, in a straight line. So here's the test. This is what you do. Here's the test. This is what you do. Okay, and I'm going to be insisting that they <laughs> actually think, and I'm going to teach them how to think about it. Okay, and it's kind of based on uh, one of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's sayings in Sherlock Holmes, which goes like this. You theorize without data because insensibly you will twist facts to suit theories instead of twisting theories to suit facts. That means that what we have in our healthcare system today is a set of theories. We call them diagnoses. So we have lists that tell us, okay, this is the diagnosis, and you get plugged into this diagnosis, and then you get the treatment for that diagnosis. Okay, and nobody thinks the wiser because once the diagnosis is made, the investigation stops. Well, guess what? Most diagnoses aren't diagnoses. Most diagnoses are sets of symptoms. A diagnosis should be a estimate of the root cause of a problem. So if you have a sore throat, that's a symptom, not a diagnosis. Okay, if you have a strep throat, now I know why you have the sore throat. If you have bipolar disease, okay, that only tells me that your mood goes up and down. It doesn't tell me why. You know, if you're addicted to alcohol, if you have an addiction issue, it only tells me that you have reward deficiency syndrome. Okay, it doesn't tell me why. It doesn't tell me how you got there. Okay, the genes will point, but they also don't tell me how you got there. 
So you could have all kinds of uh, polymorphisms in the DRD2 gene, MAO, COMT, the GADs, you know, everything uh, that you'd expect someone to have a lot of excitation in their brain that would lead them towards addictive behavior, but you still haven't told me why they headed in that direction. And you have to know if you want to fix somebody. Because it's just not a matter of filling up all the warehouses or oil pans or whatever um, I've been using as an example for the vesicles that uh, that need to be filled with the neurotransmitters. It's a matter of knowing why and how they got there. And when you know that, you can truly heal a person because you can go backwards and you'd be surprised what you find. Sometimes it is a purely psychological, horrible thing like uh, rape or PTSD or, uh, so, you know, and, and of course that type of trauma is best handled by the appropriate professional. But if a woman has been um, sexually abused or raped, uh, it's going to cause a form of PTSD. And when it's held down, especially with the younger lady, it's like building a concrete bunker over an atomic pile, like the old atomic piles like they used to have um, before World War II. And that will just keep on building steam and building steam. Eventually, it's going to start breaking down those concrete walls, and the steam is going to start coming out in funny places, yielding funny symptoms. And if you don't take a history and go all the way back, all the craziness that you're looking at, okay, all the behaviors you're looking at, you'll never see the root cause. And if all you do is treat the downstream effect, which is treating with a Band-Aid, okay, by just throwing Suboxone at them and just throwing um, various medications at them, if you don't look for the root causes, you'll never fix it. It'll never be fixed because then it'll come out in a different way. How many people do you know that have addiction problems and they lick one of them only to have a different addiction? Okay. If you're a compulsive overeater and you get that under control, you tend to go towards alcohol. Alcoholics tend to go towards gambling, you know, and, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. Okay. It's getting at the root cause of what's causing the brain dysfunction. And that's how you stop and give that person an opportunity to live. Okay, and we have to thank God for all the 12-step programs, and there's plenty of them out there because the support is amazing. Okay, it really is. But my contention is it would be good if we could add this aspect into, you know, all the treatment of addicts of whatever ilk. I see somebody typing. Okay, I'm very excited. I'm going to get a question. I'm into it. Um, so you have to look at it like this and remember that addicts aren't, you know, the dumpster diver. They aren't, they aren't the guy who's banging on your window and, and cleaning your, um, you know, cleaning your window for a quarter. Okay. They are your neighbors. They're your friends. They're your boss. They're your, uh, employees. They're your cousins. They're your children. Okay. Um, they're good people. They're good people with a crummy disease. Okay, and it's something I've been saying about all hidden illnesses because everybody with a hidden illness pots, you know, anything you can't see, okay, has often been told you're crazy, has often been told, you know, you just can't handle your life. Oh, good, a, a person calling. Nice person in the 9-5. Yes. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you well. This is Dr. Armine. Can I uh, answer a question for you? Yes. I. Uh, my name is Desiree, and I think you've been outstanding in trying to explain everything. 
because I've been Thank in all you. different yeah. areas regarding my son, um, who's currently in a residential facility, and I try to advocate what you said, even in a more simplistic form, and I cannot even seem to get an MD or a psychiatrist to comprehend, uh, you know, the protocol in which you're trying to recommend or even to get an... I think they're worried about the IC-9 diagnosis codes to get it approved by, to be paid by insurance. Do you right. think our Absolutely only options correct. are self-pay to get the proper mm-hmm. treatment? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that with the um uh generally speaking if if I if I'm reading you correctly and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Uh when someone is bad enough they need to be inpatient somewhere, okay? Let them do their thing. Okay? Because the goal of inpatient therapy is not to load them up on medicines and keep them that way. Generally speaking, it's to give them medicines to detoxify them or get them down so they don't have seizures and then engage in um, psychological therapy. Um, like I said, twice a day, they're going to meetings all the time and to get them into a habit so that when they come out, they continue to go to meetings and embrace the recovery lifestyle. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Except that at that point, at that point when, when your son is out of there, and he's, you know, still white knuckling, but still going to meetings. He needs to be going to meetings. He needs to be following the Oh, we're going to do the, the ninety day, the ninety meetings, the ninety. Ninety and ninety, sure, absolutely. Right. You know, so it's at that point where, if you were looking to have intervention from someone like myself, that would be the better point because now he's committed, and he doesn't have this. Um, well, if I take this pill, I'll be okay. This is a time when his brain is going to be clear enough where you could sit down with him and say, okay, look, this is what's going on inside you. You have to stay in recovery because you developed the behaviors. Okay, but if you like the jonesing to stop, if you like the craving to slow down and everything else that is going up and down, we can work with that if you're willing. And it's going to be vitamins. It's not going to be drugs. You know, most people will sit there and go, wow, I understand what you're saying now. But when he's in the facility, let them do their thing because that's the best thing for him presently. Plus, you are absolutely correct in your assumption. Remember I said that, you know, um, about twisting facts to suit theories? Well, the only way that these these, um, facilities get their money is by putting putting people into the proper diagnostic category, which has, you just can't, can't write a number down. You have to prove it. Okay, and then the insurance company allows you X amount of days. You know, they, it's managed care without the doctors managing it. By the way, in case you're wondering. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I understand. I worked for a doctor before, and I we had to put we, only to get him in. We couldn't even use addiction because it's more mental health. We had to get him in tentative bipolar to be ruled out. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, it's been terrific. It's been very therapeutic. He is going to chemical dependency, AA, anger management. All of those have been terrific except they are really have really loaded him up on pharmaceuticals and I cannot dispute them. It's their way of treating. I just he's best, being discharged the best thing forty five days. To let, right. The best okay. thing to do is let them do their thing because they will have him hopefully minimally medicated by the time they're out. And remember once he's out, even if he's on several medicines, let's just let's let's talk worst case scenario. Okay. Let's say he's on uh several medications. Uh, then it becomes a matter of working with the psychiatrist, finding a psychiatrist who's a little bit more malleable, you know, and there are several out there, depending on what part of the country you're in, okay, who will look to balance the neurotransmitters who understand it. I have a lot of psychiatrists refer to me, 
Okay, and I don't take people off medicines. Okay, I'll balance the neurotransmitters, give them a call, and say, okay, you guys talk about which ones you want to go off first. Okay, and they start bringing them down slowly. Because, you know, psychiatrists are basically polypharmaceutical guys. Okay, they don't like having to manage it. They don't like managing that kind of stuff because of all the side effects and so forth. So, you know, if they can take somebody off safely and they end up on one medication, they're happier than a clam. Okay? But the, the thing, and I'm glad you brought this up, the very first thing always is the person must be safe. They must and that was why it was so important to take them in. And exactly. um, the MPHFR, I brought it up because the people who recommended the residential, I asked for the <clears throat> MPHFR test because of my mother, and he does have the C677T. And my mother, who is a recovering, recovered, whatever she is, alcoholic, I got finally, because the psychiatrist did not know a word of what I was talking about, they gave me an MD pediatrician who was somewhat familiar um, mm-hmm. And we're going to see if we can proceed to eliminate the folic acid from his diet while he's in residential. That was so, a, I you know what you do, though? Understand that sometimes, even with the, uh, with, uh, the MTHFR being uh, heterozygous or homozygous, I need to let you know that sometimes, if it's done incorrectly, okay, it can cause more anxiety and more um, upregulation. So it should be done by somebody who knows what they're doing and has the entire pathways done. So if you have a chance... Do the 23andMe yeah. test on them, okay? Because by the time he gets out, that'll be back. You can run it through Sterling's app, and now you've got a 50-page report. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Let me stop right there. I'm absolutely – okay, I'm going to do that. Run it through whom to interpret the data? Sterling's app? You run it through, uh, yeah, mthfrsupport.com, their application, okay. Okay? okay? And what will happen is you'll get a you'll get a – very large report that is <laughs> thoroughly confusing unless you know how to read it, okay? Right. But the good thing about that report, I will tell you that in the hands of somebody like myself or Sean or other people who are well-trained, I could look at all the biochemical pathways to include as mitochondria, as transulfuration pathways, detoxification pathways, and then sit there and go, okay, this is why you got this way. Okay, now here's how we can work with it. Okay, and then, but I would never take them off of medicine. I would balance them, and then you and the psychiatrist would, you know, and believe me, the psychiatrist very happily start working his way down. And when you're outpatient, you know, trust me when I tell you, you can't swing a dead cat in the United States and not hit a psychiatrist. So that he's not the only game in town. (laughs) Right, Right now, right now, he's safe. He's doing the work of recovery. He's getting used to it. He's developing habits. Let him do it. And then when he comes out, if you want to work with us, great. If not, I, you know, we'll, we'll find you somebody who's, who's more suitable for you. But this is this is you have you have the right mindset, okay? Uh, right now, this kind of stuff is just going to have to wait till he comes out. It's the proper way to do it because right now he's getting the best of care. Does that include okay? the 23andMe test, or should I ask them to do it? 23andMe, they're not going to do it because they have no idea. You know what they'll do okay. if they did the 23andMe? me test, they would, they would come back and they'd say, look, it says he's 21% Neanderthal. I said, my ex-wife could have told you that. Right. You know? right. <laughs> they don't, they and don't what know about the neurotransmitter data. test? Could I request that or no? You could. You, they're going to look at your cross-eyed. Okay. Okay. They okay don't, I'll they wait until it gets out. Neurotransmitter test, uh, the simple one is only $140 if you're going to pay for it. You know, sure, it's, not a, yeah. it's, not a lot, it's not a lot of money. And if yeah. you wanted to do it while he was in there, you'd have to walk in and ask him to urinate, walk out with two little bottles of urine, and send it out. You know, <laughs> it's not. Great. It's not no, all I'll that do that. difficult and to do. 
you know? Thank you so out, much. And I, I listened to Sean also, and he was magnificent. Mm-hmm. You guys have been amazing. He is magnificent. He's, he, he is, he's, my, he's a good man. He's the smartest guy I know, and he cares like you wouldn't believe. You know? Yeah. Anybody, anybody who will explain something to me 12 times until I, until I understand it is a good man in my book. <laughs> Thank you so much for your advice. Okay, I do appreciate take care. it. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, there's a couple more questions. I'm going to go back up here. And it is, uh, I thought the brain dysfunction was genetic and not problematic. Can you help explain this to the laymen who are not doctors and geneticists? Are you saying that some crap that happens to you can change your genetic makeup? Okay, here's here's how that works, okay, the person who asked it. So let's, listen up. Uh, we all know, you've all seen the tests, and they have... Um, uh, the genes, and they have either they're either normal, which is negative negative, or they're negative positive, which is heterozygous, and uh, positive positive, which is homozygous. What that's saying is this: the gene in the epigenome, which is what we're talking about, the gene encodes an enzyme. The enzyme is what works the various biochemical processes in the body. The polymorphisms, the heterozygous homozygous, tell us that the enzyme is not working at its peak efficiency. So it's negative, negative, it's working at its usual efficiency. If it's negative, positive, it's working at about 60% efficiency. If it's negative, negative, I'm sorry, positive, positive, it is working at 10%, maybe 20% efficiency. But it's all a matter of traffic, okay? I always tell people that we have to look at these things uh, from the 30,000-foot point of view and looking at the pathway, not the individual gene. So... Let's say your pathway is, your normal pathway is eight lanes wide and the heterozygous is four lanes wide and the homozygous is two lanes wide. Let me put this to you. If you had an eight-lane highway, can you put enough traffic in there to slow it down? The answer would be yes. So you can make an eight-lane highway, normal, normal pathway, act like it's homozygous or heterozygous just by putting a lot of traffic in. That traffic is viral, bacterial, toxic, and so forth. Granted, if you have a compromised pathway and you throw a lot of traffic in, that's going to slow everything down to the point that things stop, and you call that crashing a pathway if you want to use some other you know, language. But you can, in fact, make your, make your genetic expression change by what you put into your body, how your microbiome, your genetic, your uh, gut biome work, okay? And that's also the path of healing. So if that has crashed everything, if you came up to a highway and it is just stuck in rush hour traffic and you look at this and say, I ain't getting on the highway, and you get off and you have dinner and you come back two hours later and the traffic's moving, what has happened? There's less traffic, okay? So if you attend to what's causing the traffic, i.e. the root causes, there'll be less traffic going into the pathways. The pathways will begin to work better. Of course, it's helpful if you give the pathways what they need to work, like the cofactors, coenzymes, and so forth, and take away anything that may be blocking, like high oxalates and so forth. But you can, in fact, make your pathways act as if they have polymorphisms. They don't really have polymorphisms, but you can make them act as if they do just by the amount of traffic and the amount of toxins you put in. Hope I explained that well. Okay. Somebody said here, wow, I have, I have 
overcome a 10-year-long addiction to painkillers and Xanax for rheumatoid arthritis. I had to get off it. I lost everything. I'm grateful I'm off it now, um, off it now but I still have the pain. I only take multivitamin, folic acid, vitamin C, methotrexate. It's supposed to slow the disease down, but I have inflammation everywhere. My joints hurt. My feet burn. I have a lot of agony. I really hate to go back on painkillers. I may not survive. Well, right off the bat, again, I told you that I can't treat people on on uh, on the radio, but I'm going to take a stretch it just a little bit here. Uh, the folate receptors, which are kind of the beginning of all these big pathways, are blocked by methotrexate, folic acid, okay, um, also green tea and dairy and so forth. So perhaps one of the things that's going on here is that you're blocking your folate receptors and you're not getting uh, the folates that are turning into the five of the folate and the cobalamin and so forth, okay? Um, and the reasons for your inflammation, if I don't miss my guess, have never been elucidated nor treated. Uh, if you've been using medications only, I can guarantee that, okay? Um, there are other, you know, on the medical side, there are other medications that are like Umera and I'm not fond of the biologics because if you listen to them on the on the TV set, they talk about how you know wonderful they are. If you close your eyes and listen, it sounds like you're going to die. If you take this, somebody's going to kill you. <laughs> you know, it's terrible. Uh, you uh, there are ways of going about this to not only uh, support the biochemical pathways but get at the root causes of the inflammation and the downstream effects like leaky gut syndrome and so forth. Um, it does. It is possible. The only way to answer that question is to take a history and see exactly what has happened. Um, I see where I see where you live, but if you call my office and talk to Erin, my assistant, she'll set you up for a complimentary 15-minute um, get acquainted session, so I can we can talk for a few minutes, for about 15 minutes, and I can assess whether I can help you. And if you need somebody closer to your area, I can make some phone calls for you. Okay, that's the best I can do. Okay, um, and I know that you got very sick from the uh, Remicade and Embryo and so forth, low blood. There's a lot of stuff going on here, buddy. Uh, or I'm sorry, I don't know if, if if that name is male or female. My apologies. I do know that as long as you're breathing, we can help. I can. I know I can help you. I can do my best. When I say I can help somebody. It means that I will do my absolute positive best. Okay, I'm a human being. I'm sure I've made mistakes before, but it's not because I don't care. Okay, so um, so if the uh, nice person with the uh, RA and so forth, if you give my office a call, um, I'll be happy to schedule a short time for us just to chat. No, no, I don't twist arms. Okay, just to see because I can't get enough information here on the radio just to see if there's something that I can do. And, and if you need somebody closer to you, especially on the East Coast, I'm from New York City and I live in Philadelphia, so I tend to know a lot of different doctors and people who are really, really, really good. As a matter of fact, I know a really good naturopath in North Jersey. That might be of, um, might be of help, but please do please do give me a call. Um, again, I'm the, I'm the least pushy person in the world. I'd rather make sure that you're comfortable than anything else, okay? Um, Thank you for saying that the highway example was super um, helpful. Uh, your heterozygous or 
C6717-1298C, which is the compound heterozygous. Remember, it's only two genes in a long series of genes, okay, although that does give you an indication that, um, that you know, there may be genetic, um, genetic uh, problems in the area. So um, I was speaking to the uh, person on the radio, on the phone, rather, um, that the 23andMe is one of the um, better tests to be doing because it gives you the um, it gives you access to the raw data, um, and those raw data that raw data can be put through uh, computer applications so that you can see all the pathways. The nice thing about the 23andMe is that it is a spit test; it's a saliva test. Okay, and uh, it's comparatively cheap. It's ninety nine dollars. And uh, let's say you did two or three people, okay, in your family, they knock it down by 20% for each successive one. Um, another person asked a very good question. You think it's essential for parents to find these genetic defects to do a 23andMe and blood draw in their children? Well, um, six, one, half dozen, the other, okay, uh, depending on the age of the child, of course, because... Um, and they say that you can't get spit out of a baby. I just turn them over and shake them. That, um, that's a joke. Um, most of them will drool like crazy. But um, if your children aren't having problems, uh, it's probably not worth it at the moment. But if um, you have a father and mother's 23andMe, you can do some extrapolating from there. Okay. And if you have uh, somebody who uh, – here's, here's, a, here's a little trick of the trade for you. Okay, everybody, shh, don't, don't, don't tell anybody I told you this. If you have a problem and your child looks a lot like you, okay, they probably have most of your genetics, okay? So a lot of times I'll be treating mom and they'll talk about their kid and I'll say, the kid looked like you and then the kid goes by and they look exactly like them. I'm like, look, most probably they're following the same course. Why don't you do what I'm doing with you with them? because it's not injurious, and if we hit a wall, then we'll do more testing. Save them a ton of money, because they don't have to you know, consult with me completely, and it's, you, it's almost universally correct, because <laughs> you, know, you, can, uh, you, know, you can extrapolate from one person to the other rather easily. Uh, my, um, my suggestion is that uh, if, if you're very, very concerned, uh, do the 23andMe on the children and and the husband, and guess what? It's it's worth it. It's worth it to see where the correlations are. Remember, the genes don't tell you where you're sick. They tell you where you might get ill. And with a child, you can say, hey, if we do this, this, and this, we can be protecting you from something. And especially however we heal the individual who is the primary person with the problems, okay, that's something that we'll tell you how to handle your children. So let's uh, let me give you a scenario. Suppose somebody had a lot of inflammation and you end up fixing their leaky gut because they were on a lot of antibiotics and ate a lot of GMO foods and uh, you know the Roundup and so forth, and you really fixed that gut up well and the inflammation went down significantly, uh, you'd know for the child to not get them in that situation by getting them mostly organic, getting them... You know, getting away from the GMO foods. You know, being judicious about um, about probiotics. Uh, being judicious about when you're taking a probiotic. Uh, I'm sorry, antibiotic antibiotics with it, so that other things don't happen. There is a certain scenario of things that, when you listen to a history, you can apply it to 
uh, other people in the family, especially if you're concerned they're going to go down the same path. It's all very logical and very it's a little bit intuitive, but it does work, and it works very, very well. So a lot of times I've treated parents, and I end up treating children too, and uh, they're basically doing the same thing the parents are because they have basically the same genetic makeup. So I don't know what the oh boy was about, but hopefully it was a good thing. I see somebody else typing. And does anybody else like to call at 646-595-2277? Please don't forget to tell your healthcare providers about the seminar. Okay, they simply can go to our website, methylationsupport.com, and the explanation will be there. Um, we will be, hopefully, doing uh, several seminars up and down the East Coast, uh, one-day seminars. And the reason we're doing this is because uh, we've heard everybody screaming that they want providers that can treat like Sean and I. And that's this is the beginning of training them. Okay, it's gonna, it, This is an introduction, and then they can come for more training, and we're going to get them to the point that they understand what's going on so you guys don't have to run around and say who knows what's, what's happening. And on our new website, we're going to have a list of recommended practitioners, and sometime thereafter, we're going to be having a list of certified practitioners. Okay, question. I come from a long line of alcoholics and addictive behaviors. I've struggled with drugs for many years. Whoa, what a go. Uh, but not in the past 15 years and smoking quit 10 years ago. I still drink wine. How do I find out if this is gene neurotransmitters for my kids? Um, how do I find out if this is... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, can you repeat the question? I, I got the point about you quit, but... How do I find out if this is gene slash neurotransmitters for my kids? Um, I don't understand the the question. Are you asking how do you find out if there's a the majority of what you had to go through was neurotransmitter and genetic, and what uh, testing you can do for your kids to find it out and then you know head it off at the pass? Okay, and the person who asked for my number at six ten. Four four nine nine seven one six. I'll put it in a. Okay. How do I find out that I changed Ah, gotcha. All right. Thank you. Thank you for re-explaining it. The problem is when I read something I, and I get double-minded, I, I, I make bad assumptions. Okay. Uh, the way to find out is uh, if you have a um, a practitioner who uh, will uh, the neurotransmitter tests are usually done through Pharmacon Labs, which is neuroscience um, over in Wisconsin. They're the ones that have been doing it for the longest and do it for the uh, most reasonable uh, price, okay? Um, but it has to be ordered by by uh, a doctor who is um, on their list, and they're not, that's not hard to find. Um, the genetic test, the 23andMe, is the best one. You can order that your t yourself by going to uh, 23andMe.com. I'll write it in. Okay, you order the test from there, and uh, they'll send you a kit. You uh, send the kit back, and when they notify you that the information is ready, what has to happen there is you have to go get the raw data, take that raw data, put it through one of the many computer applications that are out there, and I've, I've suggested um, the uh, application at mthfrsupport.com uh, because that's the best one in my opinion. And here's the problem with that is you have to get somebody to interpret it, okay? Um, 
Okay, if you um if you're planning on seeing me and you've sent out the twenty three me and you need me to um to order the uh neurotransmitter test, again, why don't you call my office and set up a um fifteen minute get acquainted conference so I know who you are and I'll be happy to send you out the test. That's that's not a problem. It doesn't cost you anything. And frankly, if you get the testing back and you decide to treat with somebody else, you're never gonna hurt my feelings. Okay. Um but as long as I, you know, feel like I know you a little bit, I'll be very happy to order the test for you. I mean, I, I know that somewhere, somewhere, somebody's going to yell at me, but I don't care because I'm going to try and take care of people. And um, that's the way that, um, that's the way I would handle it. Um, so just give a call. My my number's up there. I'd be happy to try and give you a hand. Um, by the way, for going about this, because you're going to spend some money, I understand, to make sure that your kids don't suffer. And, um, you know, something I, I really appreciate that. I think that that's, um, you know, I have I have a son that has uh, schizoaffective disorder, and I know how it is to, to my, you know, watch watch them hurt and have your heart t- torn apart. Um, so, um, you know, and um, so I commend you. I commend you for doing this. This is a, it's a tough thing, and tough and to. Um, to have them know that that you had addiction problems uh, is not a point of shame, by the way. Okay, you're teaching them how to live. You're teaching them that you can have problems and you can recover from them. And I would like you not to have these problems. And here is the evidence that I see. So it's your choice, but this is where I, you know, this is where I think you should go, so you don't have to suffer the way I did. And in fact, that's the only thing and the best thing a parent can do. Okay, to bear your soul. To your to your children, so they understand that you know you are in fact a human being, and they learn how to be better parents and how to be better people, and isn't that what we signed up for? Okay, my children know my mind, they know my problems, okay, and they see me work my way through them. Okay, I'm not ashamed either. Okay, I you know <laughs> I'm sure they made fun of me, but that's their job. Okay, but as I see them become men. Okay, what I am what I'm um very thankful to God about is that they are good men. Okay, and none of them I have three boys, three boys, thirty five, twenty seven, and twenty two. They're still boys, okay? Uh and they are good men. You know, there's not a mean bone in their body. Do they have their things? Oh yeah. Okay? All everybody's got their things. But when the chips are down, they're good men. And that's all that matters. You know, you have a a daughter and that she's a good woman. She does what she's supposed to do. Doesn't have a mean bone in her body. I got to tell you, there's nothing, nothing more satisfying. And on the road to that, you got to do this, this kind of stuff. You know, sometimes you get a recalcitrant kid. They they just look and say, I don't want to be like you. But you're going to say, hey, but you're just like me. But I don't want to be like you. Well, this is how I got this way. And here's the evidence of it. So guess what, you know? Um, my fee structure, in case you're wondering, is on my website, okay? And um, reading the tests, you know, I, I think you're asking how many, how, what would I charge to read several tests? You know, I usually uh, ask you to ask Aaron because I usually combine a lot of that. You'll see that my initial consultation is $495, that's two hours. But if I'm just reading tests, I can get four or five people into that two hours. You know, it all depends on the individual, whether I'm treating something, you know, horrendous that takes a long time or, 
you know, some people just come to me and say, you know, can you look over my tests and, you know, give me an idea of, you know, where I should go because, yeah, I'm not really having problems, but I want, I don't want to get problems. That takes a whole lot less time. Okay. And, um, so you just, we can discuss that person, um, specifically, I'm sorry, individually. Okay. Just give us a call. All right. Any other questions out there? Because it's uh, starting to get on just a few minutes left to the show. I'm, uh, you know, addictions is a big problem. It really is. Okay. And um, you can help a lot of people by, you know, supporting them uh, in their in their recovery. And when they're struggling, okay, when they're jonesing, when they're cravings, uh, to realize at least that there are other methodologies that can be utilized, okay, to take care of that physiologic portion. Not a lot of people think that there's anything but medicines and Frankly, and that's only part of it. And by the way, there are other medicines out there that, that help with cravings that are not narcotic and not um, not benzodiazepines and so forth. I know a lot of very good um, addiction psychiatrists. Okay, that um, that do a lot of very good work and um, work holistically as well as uh, pharmaceutically. Um, just remember that. Pharmaceuticals are not evil. The injudicious use of pharmaceuticals is evil. Okay, um, putting you know a bandaid on something is not evil, but the evilness occurs when all you use is the bandaid. Okay, you don't look any further. Okay, that's where I see one person typing. Uh, so I'll wait for that particular question. Okay, because I realize that I'm babbling like crazy tonight, and I appreciate you listening because you guys are the greatest. And um, this has been a good show so far. I'm enjoying it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Okay. This is, um, she, um, she writes that this has been one of your best factual blog talks. I appreciate you having this space and time with this MTHFRs. I'm, I am very appreciative of your of your kind words. Very much so. Um, I do try my very best. Um, I've been known to fall on my face, but I've known, been known to pick myself up. And uh, I try and think that I'm the, uh, the voice of reason in, a, in this whole nutrigenomic world because some people lean in so many different directions, and I'm kind of the, uh, the middle, middle ground guy, you know? So I'm kind of proud of that. Uh, if you guys could do me a favor, um, you all know how to PM me and get in touch with me. I just have to pop over to my website, uh, Methylation Support. If you have ideas of shows that you would like to hear, okay, if you have groups that uh, are in line with um, what we do and you'd like me to um, do a show outlining what it is they do, um, please let me know because, um, you know, I, um, I, don't, I, love, I love talking. <laughs> I know you couldn't tell. All right. I love talking about different subjects, and I've uh, made a commitment when I first started this two Novembers ago to teach everybody how chronic illnesses actually work. And, and it's turning around now. People are realizing that chronic doesn't mean permanent. Chronic doesn't mean it's in my head. Chronic means that we haven't gone far enough to figure out what the heck is wrong. And has it been easy? No. Has it been insightful? You bet. Okay? And has it been fun? Yes, it has. You know, because 
You know, we, you now look at, many of you look at your doctors and say, how come you don't know this? Okay, I said, no, that's not right. We have to go further, okay? And I love, I adore hearing stories like that. I really do. Because you guys are starting to slap them around. And this is what I expected. You're slapping them around, and this is a free enterprise society. So you say, hey, I'm going to go to a different doctor. They don't like that because they're losing money, right? All of a sudden, now I've got doctors coming out the wazoo trying to learn what it is that I know. And we were asked, how are you going to duplicate it yourselves? Sean and I were asked. said, we're not. Okay, we can't duplicate ourselves, but we can teach people how to think. So it doesn't matter what degree they have, okay? It matters that they think in a certain manner, and then the downstream of that is they will be have the curiosity and they will learn how to do different things, and they will listen to you further and listen to you more critically and learn and learn what they were supposed to do a long time ago, okay? Let you tell them what's wrong, you know? Where can I find a PDF for this talk, okay? Here it comes at you right now. Um, you're right. Uh, critical does not mean terminal, okay? As long as you're breathing, you're not dying. Okay, hold on. I'm going to give you the uh, the link to the PDF, okay? And here it goes. There you go. There's a that, All you have to do is cl click that link, and you'll get to the PDF. Okay, and anytime, by the way, on my website, the PDFs are not there. All you have to do if you're listening to a show is email and say, can I get the PDF for X show? Okay, um, with the new website, we'll be putting them together. Right now, I'm... Um, we're in a little bit of a transition, but you're happy to, you're, you're welcome to everything that I have. Nothing I have is a secret. Not, I, don't hold, I don't hold things like a dog with a bone, okay? Um, I'm looking to promulgate this information, not hold on to it for my own purposes, you know? I, um, believe me, I'm very, very busy. I'm very thankful for the people who have allowed me to be in their lives. And uh, I'm looking forward to teaching all of the doctors um, to be the same way to teach them how to be doctors again, which I'm hoping that's what they wanted to do in the first place. So presently, I think I'm going to close uh, this particular um, show, and I'm going to close it um, differently. Uh, instead of using the enterprise theme, I'm going to say the serenity prayer, which in its original form, okay? And it goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. I apologize if that was a little too religious, but... As it's all said, my show, my rules. <laughs> you guys have a great week. Thank you so much for your attention. I appreciate you being here, and I appreciate the great questions. I really do. And if there's any way I can help you, you know, please give me a scream. I'll do whatever I can for you. This is a very, very tough subject. Uh, those people who are uh, letting their uh, families know who they are and what they are, just know that they may be a little bit recalcitrant for a little while, but in the greater scheme of things, you will have changed a mold. You will have changed many generations of your progeny because you took the time and effort and courage 
to change what goes on now. And I'm proud of you. Good night, people. Have a good night.